0: will be in chapter 16 tonight, chapter 16. Before we start, though, uh, Harry Wrighton has something that I've asked him if he would come and share with you. This is wonderful. It's it's a gospel cube, and Harry, as long as I've known him, uh, has been faithful to share the gospel wherever he goes. And I can recall Harry remembering that over at First Church of God when we'd have the fall festival, and we'd have seven, eight thousand people from the community show up for that, wow. and you would be over there on the back of his car, have the back opened, and he would be sitting out there, and he would be sharing the gospel with with parents, with children, wonderful. and what a what a wonderful blessing that was. Yeah. So if you could show what show them what this is, and uh, then you'll please explain how they might be able to get one. Okay. maybe they want the smaller version, but. Right. Uh,
1: Right. You're the you're the pro. You've got yeah, the big right. version. It cost about twenty five dollars. Smaller cost about eight dollars. But it's a to uh, so your computer. It's EvangeCube, E-V-A-N-G-E-Cube. So um, this is the cube. I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to you, and I'm gonna pretend like <laughs> you can use a table I, if you like want. I've got a, a bunch of bunch of children here or older people. Doesn't make any difference. And um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be showing this to you. And uh, the light symbolizes God. God is life. There's no darkness in him. He loves each and every one of you, and he wants one day for you to spend eternity in heaven. He created man that I'm pointing to right now. The darkness represents our sin. Now, God is good, and man is sinful, so we're separated from him. No hope. However, God had a plan. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live. After he was taken from the cross, he was placed in a tomb. A big stone was placed in front of it. Roman soldiers guarded it. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Now he lives in the hearts of those who love him. So now here we have sinful man, And we have God. We're no longer separated because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. He's given us the ability to make sure choices. We can choose him and one day spend eternity in heaven, or we can be separated by the fire. Now, this cube can't save you. This message can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. But what this does, it it lets a person know what the Lord expects from you. So we have a choice. We can choose him or choose the fire. Everybody would want want heaven. So then that's when I said, I'll say, and I would like for you to just uh, say after me, thank you, God, for loving me. I've done bad things in my life called sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I now invite you, Jesus, into my heart. Amen. Amen.
0: So, Harry, how, how many folks, you have any, any idea how many that you prayed with to receive Christ?
1: I don't know. In foreign countries, it's in the hundreds. Wow! And uh, because I'm going from school to school. And, yes. And, uh, but the United States is probably maybe 200 a, a year, maybe more. Praise God!
0: <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Again, they're about eight dollars.
1: The, the big one. The big the, one's the big a twenty-five. One's about, yeah, about twenty-five. Small ones about eight.
0: Where do you pick them up at?
1: Uh, event. Look, uh, look under Evangiacube. E B A N G E Cube.
0: E-V-A-N-G-E Cube.
1: Good. Thank you, brother.
0: Amen. I'm so glad that he took time to do that for us tonight. So important. We've been uh, talking an awful lot about our responsibility as believers to be witnesses for Christ. And so this is just one way. And I have seen, I've observed Harry at a distance and up close as he's shared with that cube over the years and, and people who have come to the Lord. And so we give thanks to God for that. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I wanted to share with you that uh, this, this weekend, you want to be in church if you're in town. You want to be in church because we're coming to a passage in the book of Acts that addresses the concept of spiritual fellowship and what it really means. And we have been so you know, crippled in the body by covid And if we leave it to others who in the scientific community, some or some from the government, they would have us stay crippled. But the reality is stadiums are filling up with people since back in late August. Stadiums are filling up on college football campuses, uh, 90, 100, sometimes over 100,000 people, and they're hooting and hollering for a Football team That throws a pig skin around And if the body of Christ Can't come together And worship the one true and living God And by the way There have not been any outbreaks On those college campuses Of an increase in COVID So I think there, there's a statement in that We need to, we need to move on Let's move forward let's, let's return to the Lord In terms of being part of his body And let's come early and let's be part of a fellowship and experience what God has. This Sunday is going to be a great time. We also, something's going to happen Sunday that if you're watching by live stream, you're going to miss it. Uh, we'll, try to, we'll try to bring you into it the best we can. But if you're not present, there's something that you're missing, and that is a baptism service. So we're going to have about 11 folks who will be baptized. We're so excited about that. And uh, hope that you can be part of that, that you'll be there, okay? Hey, let's take our Bibles out and let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, and that is uh, the study of David, King David. Uh, this whole First and Second Samuel is the study of the kings. And we've already covered uh, Saul. Now we're in David. After David, we'll move into... Uh, the next king, uh, Solomon, the next one after him, Rehoboam, and we'll just keep right on going. It, it, there's so much to learn from these passages, and, and I just think it's, it's really an awesome opportunity for us to apply Scripture to our lives. So tonight we'll continue. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your love and thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us how you have always been faithful to show yourself in times of need in our life. We we, we look at times where uh, sacrifice is necessary, times where suffering is great, and yet the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, seems to sing even louder the praises of God. And I pray, Lord, that tonight we would be able to sing in the storm, if that's what we're facing And if we're on a mountaintop, that we would never stop stop worshiping and, and giving praise and honor to God. Father, you are so faithful, and that's why we are gathered tonight, to live under the faithful arm of the Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, we also lift up Ani tonight, who her father is not doing well down in South Florida. She's traveling down there with her husband, John be with them as they minister to family members, and be with her father, we pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we pick up at chapter 16, verse 1. It says, When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Zeba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Now, before we break this down, this portion of the passage, let's just kind of, in an overview, look at where we've come from. David uh, has had a very colorful life, as to say the least. You know, a colorful life in terms of his ability to go from a a heart that is near to God to a heart that is far from God. Uh, You only need to look at the sins of David to see that. Uh, Sexual sin was very real in his life. If anyone tries to downplay it, they're not being truthful to the Word of God. We need the whole counsel of God when we study. And the whole counsel on David's life is that he was a great king and he had a heart after God, but he also struggled with the flesh. And so he lusted after women. He had many wives, not just one. David was a polygamist. And then also he had even more concubines. And so David's life is a mess. And now we see that playing out in the lives of his children, children of different wives. We've already had one son of David uh, rape a sister, a stepsister. We had another son of David who killed the son that raped the other sister. These are events in the lives of his children. And now he's come into a situation with his son, Absalom. Absalom has played the political game, sitting down at the city gate and ministering to people, helping them to make adjudications for their struggles and their family matters and their business matters. And and in doing that, what he has done is uh, gotten people to side with him. He would say things like, oh, I just wish that my father had time to spend with you and deal with these matters in your life. And I just wish that my father had appointed someone. But I'm here, let me just minister to you. Let me go ahead and help you with this. And if only I had been put in position, I would be able to help even more. He was giving all these lines. And obviously, he's building a case. He has something in mind, an ulterior motive, We we learned last week that that motive was for him to leave Jerusalem and rally not only the people of Israel but rally leaders of Israel some of which were even counselors for King David and rally them to his cause so that he could rise up against David and literally against his own father take over the kingdom Uh, this, this This stuff is not made up church uh, this, is, this is like soap opera worthy. It is, it is craziness happening in the Bible. And it just goes to show that the, this, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Who can possibly know it? And we see that right in the king's house. And so now David, knowing that his son Absalom is going to uh, make a move for the throne, David has a choice. But what we learned is that David has shifted from very, a very prideful, a very uh, authoritative role as king where he took on more concubines and he uh, uh, did things the way he wanted to do them, not really paying attention to God. And then because of that, the sins that broke out in his family and he did nothing about it. Uh, he was a dysfunctional father at best and now all of a sudden, David has come to his senses. And, and, he, and what caused that was the fact that Absalom killed Amnon, his, son, his other son. And now Absalom is building up to take control and to, to overthrow his father. And David's looking at it and going, what did I do wrong? And you know that God began to reveal to him, he began to see, I've made a mess. This is on me. And he comes to the conclusion that everything, listen now, this is important for us. Every circumstance I'm facing, God is in it. There's nothing I'm facing that God is not aware of and God is not in. Sometimes God allows these things to play out in our lives because we chose uh, rebellion against God. We did it our way. Um, other times, God is actually doing it. He is bringing that difficult circumstance upon us. Why? Because He disciplines those that He loves. And so David's not really sure how God's in it. He just knows God's in it. So now David is a broken man, and his thoughts are, uh, it's likely that God is now bringing upon me these terrible scenarios and circumstances because I deserve it. I deserve it. And and I'm going to take the licks. If this is what God has for me, I'm going to take the licks. Now all of a sudden, David goes from this prideful man to a humble man where whatever God wants to do with my life, including taking away the kingdom and giving it to my son. He knows God wouldn't do that because Absalom is worthy of the kingdom. God would just use Absalom and his wickedness to correct David. And he's like, if that's what it takes, do it, Lord. This is a broken man. This is a man with a contrite heart. When you read Psalm 51... There are so many times in David's life where he returns to God with a contriteness, with a brokenness. This is one of them. And that's what we pick up here as we start. And now David has left Jerusalem. He has brought with him those who still still serve him, who love him. He's bringing some of his mighty men with him who stayed with him. And now they are making their way down across the Kidron brook. And they're coming up to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, these these events take place. One of them is that Ziba, who was a servant to King Saul. and, And when David became king, he looked for whatever family members still lived under Saul's, uh, Saul's family. And he found Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And he called for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth knew that this means it's the end of my life because in that day a king would kill off the family members of the former uh, kingdom, the dynasty, in the dynasty, so that it cannot rise again and Mephibosheth's thinking, I'm a dead man. He was a crippled, and Mephibosheth came before David, and David said, "Uh, I promised your father, Jonathan, that I would look after the family of Saul. And you are here, and I'm going to provide for you for the rest of your life. And I'm going to restore to you all of your father's land and your grandfather's land. And so Mephibosheth overnight went from being a pauper who was on the outskirts of town and was a social outcast because of his his being crippled. Back in that day, if you're crippled, you did something wrong with God. You're, You're a sinner. And he goes from this outcast to literally gaining all of the land of King Saul and even Saul's servant, Ziba, is told now by David to take care of Mephibosheth. And they would all eat well, and David even went so far as to say to Mephibosheth, from now on, you will eat at my table. You will sit with my family. You will eat our king's portion. And so David was extremely kind and generous with this family member, one of the remaining family members of King Saul. All because of his commitment to to Jonathan. So now David's leaving and on the way as he he, because he's not going to fight against Absalom. He's just not. David is going to put things in the Lord's hands. If God wants me to be king and wants me to, to keep the kingdom of Israel, he will provide. He'll do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk away and let God, because maybe God wants me to lose it and so he's in this place I want to read something for you a book that we read in the early part of first Kings called a tale of three Kings write that down if you haven't before and if you haven't picked up this book you gotta you've got to buy it uh, it's written by Gene Edwards and I'm not even sure Gene is alive now it probably isn't he's he would be probably 95 to 100 years old he maybe he is I don't know but but uh, uh, this book is fabulous. It's a, it's a novel. It's not, it's not uh, accurate to Scripture in the sense that he's quoting the Bible. It is accurate in the thoughts and the concepts, uh, but he's telling a novel. He's telling a, fici- a fictional story, and he's, it's about uh, King David. It's about King, or supposedly Absalom, who called himself King. And it's about uh, even those after, Solomon, Rehoboam. But he, he tells this story. And in this book, I want to read for you something. It kind of gives us a feel for what might have been going on in David's head and some of the decisions that he was making at this point in his life. It says, David was alone again. Slowly, quietly, he walked the length of his rooftop garden. Finally, he paused and spoke aloud to himself. I have waited, Absalom. I have waited and watched for years. I have asked again and again, what is the heart of this young man? Now he's thinking of his own son. And now I know you will do the unthinkable. You will divide the very kingdom of God. All else was talk. You acted like you were with me. You went down and adjudicated the people and their cases. But honestly, the manipulation was that I'm going to overthrow my father. David was quiet for a moment. Then almost in awe, he spoke his voice hushed. Absalom does not hesitate to divide the kingdom of God. Now I know he seeks followers, or at least he does does not turn them away. Though he seems magnificently pure and noble, still he divides. His followers grow, even though he states convincingly that he has none. For a long time, David said nothing. Finally, with a trace of humor in his words, he began to address himself. All right, good King David, you have one issue resolved. You are in the middle of a a division and you may very well be dethroned. Now to the the second issue. He paused, lifted his hand, and almost fatally asked, What will you do? The kingdom hangs in the balance. It seems I have two choices, to lose everything or to become like Saul. I can stop Absalom. I need only to be a Saul. In my old age shall I not become a Saul? I feel the Lord Himself awaits my decision. Shall I now be a Saul? He asked again of himself, this time loudly. And a voice from behind answered, Good king, he has been no David to you. David turned and it was Abishai who had approached unannounced. David Whipped a crowded place, this terrace, and Abishai said, Sir? David said, Nothing. Suffice it to say, I have not been without vision today, a day when I would have chosen solitude. What did you say to me? In fact, what did I say? You said, Shall I not be a Saul to Absalom? And I replied, He has been no young David to you. I never challenged Saul. I never attempted to divide the kingdom during his reign. Is that what you're saying? More, replied uh, Abishai strongly. Saul was evil toward you and made your life torturous. You responded only with respect and private agony. The bad things that happened in those days came only from one side. All fell on you. Yet you could have divided the kingdom and probably could have overthrown Saul. But rather than do that, you left the kingdom. You fled rather than cause division. You risked your life for unity and sealed your lips and eyes to all his injustices. You had more cause to rebel than any man in the history of this or any kingdom that has ever been. Absalom has to twist hard to conjure up his list of injustices. Few of them significant, I might add. Has Absalom behaved as you did? Has Absalom respected you? Does Absalom seek to preserve the kingdom? Does he refuse to speak against you? Does Absalom turn aside followers? Has Absalom left the land to prevent its being uh, sundered? If Absalom res- is, is Absalom respectful? Does he bear suffering in silent agony? Have bad things fallen on Absalom? No, he is only pure and noble. Abishai's last words came out almost in bites. Then he continued more gravely this time. His grievances are minor compared to your rightful grievances toward Saul. You never mistreated Saul, and you never in any way have been unfair to Absalom. David interrupted with a grin. I seem to have a gift for making old men and young men hate me without a cause. In my youth, the old attack me. When I am old, the young attack me. What a marvelous achievement. (laughs) My point, continued Abishai, is that Absalom is no David. Therefore, I ask you, why don't you stop his rebellion? Stop him, the miserable. Careful, Abishai, David responded. Remember, he is also a son of the king. We should never speak ill of the son of a king. Good king, I remind you that you refuse to raise your sword Or your spear even once against Saul, but Absalom speaks against you night and day. He will one day soon raise an army against you. Nay, he'll raise a nation. This nation. Young Absalom is no young David. I counsel you to stop him. You are asking me, Abishai, to become a Saul. No, I'm simply saying he is no David. Stop him. And if I stop him will I still be a David? If I stop him will I not be a Saul asked the king his eyes piercing Abishai to stop him I must become either Saul or an Absalom. My king and my friend I speak to you fondly I sometimes think you are a bit insane. Yes I can see why dear king Saul had a bad uh, Saul was a bad king. Absalom is in some ways a youthful incarnation of Saul. You alone are constant. You are forever the brokenhearted shepherd boy. Tell me truthfully, what do you plan? Well, until now I have not been sure, but of this I am certain. In my youth I was no Absalom, and in my old age I shall not be a Saul. In my youth, by your words, I was David. In my old age I intend to be David still, even if it costs me a throne, a kingdom, and perhaps my head. Abishai said nothing for a while. Then slowly he spoke, making sure he grasped the significance of David's decision. You were not an Absalom, and you refused to be a Saul. Sir, if you are not willing to put Absalom down, then I suggest we prepare to evacuate the kingdom for Absalom will surely take the throne. Only as sure, surely as King Saul killed the shepherd boy, replied the old king. What? Abishai said, startled. Think on it, Abishai. God once delivered a defenseless shepherd boy from the powerful mad king. He can yet deliver an old ruler from an ambitious young rebel. You underestimate your adversary, retorted Abishai and you underestimate my God. But why, David? Why not fight? I will give you the answer, and you will recall, for you were there, that I once gave the same answer to Joab in a cave long ago. It is better that I be defeated, even killed, than to learn the ways of a Saul or the ways of an Absalom. The kingdom is not that valuable. Let him have it. If that be the Lord's will, I repeat, I shall not learn the ways of either Saul or Absalom. And now being an old man, I will add a word I might not have known then, Abishai. No man knows his own heart. I certainly do not know my own. Only God knows it. Shall I defend my little realm in the name of God? Shall I throw spears and plot and divide and kill men's spirits? if not their bodies, to protect my own empire? I did not lift a finger to be made king, nor shall I do so to preserve a kingdom, even the kingdom of God. God put me here. It is not my responsibility to take or keep authority. Do you not realize it may be His will for these things to take place? If He chooses, God can protect and keep the kingdom even now. After all, it is His kingdom. As I said, no man knows his own heart. I do not know mine. Who knows what is really in my heart? Perhaps in God's eyes I am no longer worthy to rule. Perhaps He is through with me. Perhaps it is His will for Absalom to rule. I honestly don't know. And if this is His will, I want it. God may be finished with me. Any young rebel who raises his hand against a Saul or any old king who raises his hand against an Absalom may in truth be raising his hand against the will of God. In either case, I shall not. I shall raise no hand. Wouldn't I look a little strange trying to stay in control if God desires that I fall? But you know that Absalom should not be king, replied Abishai in frustration. Do I? No man knows, only God knows and he has not spoken. I did not fight to be king and I will not fight to remain king. May God come tonight and take the throne, the kingship and, and David's voice faltered, and his anointing from me. I seek his will, not his power. I repeat, I desire his will more than I desire a position of leadership. He may be through with me. King David, A voice came from behind the two men. Yes. Oh, a messenger. What is it? Absalom. He wishes to see you for a moment. He wants to ask permission to go to Hebron to make a sacrifice. David said Abishai hoarsely, you know what that means, don't you? Yes, I know. David turned to the messenger. Tell Absalom I will be there in a moment. David looked one last time at the quiet city below, then turned and walked toward the door. Will you let him go to Hebron? Abishai demanded. I will, said the great king. Yes, I will. Then he re- he turned to the messenger. This is a dark hour for me. When I have finished speaking to Absalom, I shall retire. Tomorrow have one of the prophets come to me for consultation, or a scribe, For second thought, send me Zadok, the high priest. Ask him to join me here after the evening sacrifice. Abishai called out once more softly this time. Admiration flashed across his face. Good king, thank you. For what, the puzzled king asked as he turned back in the doorway. Not for what you have done, but for what you have not done. Thank you for not throwing spears, for not rebelling against kings for not exposing a man in authority when he was, in very, was so very vulnerable, for not dividing a kingdom, for not attacking young Absalom, who looks like young David but is not. And he paused. And thank you for suffering, for being willing to lose everything. Thank you for giving God a free hand to end and even destroy your kingdom if it pleases him. Thank you for being an example to us all. And most of all, he chuckled, Thank you for not consulting witches, (laughs) like Saul. That's just one chapter at the end. It's the longest chapter in the whole book. But what a wonderful picture that it draws for some of the thoughts that had to be racing through David's mind, knowing that Absalom was out to take over. And there probably was something in David that, would have wanted him to rise up and defend. But he loved God too much to do that. He wanted what God wanted more than anything else. I don't know what you're going to do with this. We haven't even gotten into the text yet. But please don't let it pass by. Take it to heart. Are there times where we get wounded by others or someone's coming after us and we know it? How do we respond to them? Do we allow God to handle that His way? Are we willing to even look at the situation surrounding that person coming at us to find if maybe there's some truth in what they're saying? Even if they're critical, is there not usually an ounce of truth or more in their words? Only those who truly love God will try to hold on to what God is saying, even through an enemy. The easier path is we get wounded, we know someone's coming, and we bow up and stand up and defend ourselves. And when we do that, it reveals that we really haven't been thinking and pondering the fact that we no longer have rights. That when we came to Christ, we surrendered our rights to Him. He now has the rights to our life. Our life is now, Paul said, hidden in Christ Jesus. And Sometimes that's what keeps us from doing what the flesh wants and strengthens us to follow the Spirit remembering that I belong to Christ. If someone's attacking my name, they're coming after my reputation to discredit me, they're using falsehoods to build a case for what they're doing, that's the Lord's business. He knows my heart. And people who truly know me know my heart. I don't need to get caught up in that game and respond. I just think there's so much here, and I just thank God for this part of David's life and his story. That when he could have, with power and authority, risen up against his son and literally taken him out, uh, he did not. Because he loved God so much, he didn't want to get in the way of God's will if he was at fault and God was disciplining him. Much there, amen? So, again, here Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, isn't going to his master. He's not doing his master any favors. It appears, if you look at verses 1, one and 2, that he's coming to assist David. He's trying to help David, to be supportive of David, as David has chosen to leave the, the, uh, the, the, the reign of, of king and and flee to the wilderness, but that's not the whole story. Um, the supplies that Zeba brings him, Zeba said, are for your, you and your family, that they might travel on donkeys. That you would have, you know, for the young men, they would have something to eat. For the older people, that they, when they become parched, there would be wine to drink. And it gives all this stuff, folks. He's lying. It's it's amazing how we can do things that look right. We can say things that sound right. But our heart is wicked. And this is the case. And we're not going to see... I mean, on the surface, look how generous Ziba is being with David, with these gifts. But we're going to see in chapter 19 that Zeba's heart is not pure verse 3 and the king said and where is your master's son Zeba said to the king behold he remains in Jerusalem for he said today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father so David's asking Zeba where is your master king Saul where is his grandson Where is Mephibosheth, who I told you to take care of? And his response is, well, Mephibosheth is staying in Jerusalem waiting for the arrival of Absalom because he believes that Absalom probably won't make it and one day uh, King Saul's reign will return to, to the kingdom that I'll be able to reign as king. Now, that goes against everything that Mephibosheth stands for. But this was a moment where David is vulnerable, he's weak, and so he takes on face value what Ziba is saying. And he responds to Ziba. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me even find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So basically, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, just threw Mephibosheth under the bus to take over everything that Mephibosheth owned. So, what a load of manure, huh? When we get to chapter 19 again, it's going to be revealed, the truth about Ziba. That literally what happened was Mephibosheth gave Ziba the order, go prepare the donkey and bring supplies, because I am going with David into the wilderness. He is my king. I will be loyal to him for all that he's done for me. And so Ziba packed a donkey for Mephibosheth and one for himself and brought all the supplies. And guess what? Then lied and left Mephibosheth, who is crippled, left him behind and went off and told a lie to David. Isn't it interesting how when we're down, that's when people make their move, when we have become weakened by whatever, we're vulnerable, oftentimes that's when people with wickedness in their heart make their move. Can anybody here relate to that in your lifetime? Of course you can. It's human nature. Let's be honest. It's possible that you did that to someone that I did that to someone at some point in my past. took advantage of somebody's kindness when they were down, when they were weak, instead of standing for them, just let the neg- negativity flow and maybe even contribute to it. So much to remind ourselves of how much we need God every moment of every day, otherwise our flesh will reign in wickedness over us. Verse five: When David, King David, came to ba- ba- Bahram, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. Boy, he can't get away from these family members of Saul. You know, he's already heard from Ziba, and now he's hearing from uh, uh, Shimei. His name was Shimei, the son of Girah, And as he came, he cursed continually, <laughs> and he threw stones. At David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged you, uh, on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. (laughs) Nothing like being kicked when you're down, huh? How many of you have had a similar experience to that? When everything's good, everybody wants to be your friend, at least to your face. And when things go south, there are no friends to be found. Those people have turned against you, and maybe they don't have the courage to say to your face what they're saying to others behind your back. But they're against you. Here's another man from the family of Saul who resented David for being king over Saul. Even though David only showed respect and honor to King Saul, David never did anything to move Saul out of his reign. The Lord did that. But that's what happens. People, in order to justify their own faults or wrong motives, they have to create a story that makes them look right. So here he is. He's indicting David for Saul being removed when really he should be indicting Saul himself. Saul is the reason that his family is not sitting on the throne. Make sense? By cursing and throwing rocks at the king, Shimei Shimei was about as offensive as a person could be. He wanted to destroy any shred of dignity or confidence that David had left. That's just like the enemy, you know? When you're down, the enemy just comes and pounds you. And then about the time you think you survived that pounding... Another pounding. You get up the next day and there's a new pounding for you, you know. And uh, we we talk about poundings in church, and it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. When Andy and Brenton uh, came on staff, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a pounding for them. It wasn't a shimay type of pounding. It was we actually asked the body, go and purchase a pound of something, food, and let's take it to Brenton and Andy. As a housewarming gift, and also welcoming them in as uh, him as a pastor of our church, and that was a good pounding. But I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the bad pounding. Okay? How how many good poundings have you had versus bad poundings? Huh? Uh, It's probably not even close. So uh, there are always people ready to rejoice when a leader falls. And Shimei had this heart against David for a long time but he could only show it when David was down and out. He was a a coward. Now, I love what C.H. Spurgeon once said. He said, It is very hard to bear a cowardly attack. One is very apt to reply and use hard words to one who takes advantage of your position and deals you the coward's blow. Only the coward strikes a man when he is down. Man, that's so profound. Uh, just in my own life, how I wish someone had come to me with their criticism, with their concern, with their whatever, as opposed to never coming to me but then going to others. It takes no size to criticize. Shimei was wrong because David actually treated Saul and his family with great love and graciousness. It's also not true that David was a bloodthirsty man. He kept saying, it's on, it's, the blood's on you, it's on you. Meaning that David was bloodthirsty. Uh, the fact that David didn't kill Shimei for cursing and throwing rocks on that day shows you that David is not bloodthirsty. Was he familiar with war? Very much so but he was not bloodthirsty. So how would David respond to these two negative situations, Ziba and Shimei? We learn more about a man when he's down than when he's up. That's the truth, isn't it? Or a woman. It's when you're down, that's when the real character seems to come out. Well, we're about to learn what is it is really uh, like in David's heart at this time. Verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeru- Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. <laughs> How many of you can relate with this guy, huh? Why are we letting this knucklehead throw rocks at us? We're having to dodge rocks. And he's he's criticizing our, the king. Let me go take his head off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And king said, What have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah, uh, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai uh, and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord Has told him to. Wow. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. In other words, if I leave him alone because God has sent him to curse me and I leave him alone and don't touch it, maybe the Lord will see that in me and he'll do something good. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. Let me just take you, take your Bible, go to Psalms, I believe Psalm uh, chapter 9. Let's, let's look real quick. I want to see if that's correct. I want to make sure that I'm not sending you on a wild goose chase here. Um, around Psalm 9, Let's see, uh, maybe not, let's see, might be Psalm 7, let's see what that one says. Yeah, this is it, Psalm 7, look what it says, it says, Which, This is something that David sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Uh, scholars believe that Cush is Jamei. So look what it says. And we'll just read a few verses. We won't go through the whole thing. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. You ever felt like that? Like they're coming after you, like a lion tearing you to shreds? O my Lord God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies, and awake for me, you have appointed a judgment." So he goes on and he talks about it. But then towards the end, he says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. No matter what they say about me, no matter what negative comes my way, no matter what criticism comes my way, I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I don't know about my own heart. I don't know about this man's heart that's coming at me. But I do know the heart of my Lord. My Lord is righteous. So I'm going to focus on the worship of my righteous God. And that brought him through. And here in our text, uh, Abishai didn't want to listen to Shimei; Uh, He didn't want to hear Shammai curse uh, curse David and didn't want to have to dodge stones anymore. He had had enough, so he wanted the king to give him permission to go kill him. But David, in in as much as he... He is a broken man now before God. He he couldn't do that. I need to leave this man alone. Let God handle this matter. God might be sending him to me. Do you know what it takes in your heart to overcome your flesh and allow your enemy to speak negatively and you not defend yourself? This is what David is doing. David is not taking matters in his own hand. He's leaving this before the Lord. He's somehow finding strength in God. He's not making his own way out of the mess. Listen, church, please hear me. We are guilty. We see something over here happening and we get so bent out of shape over it that we go sideways off on the person and we go around behind their back and talk to people and tell them what this person's doing and all that nonsense. That is the opposite of someone who has a heart after God. A heart after God leaves it with the Lord. Let the Lord deal with them. I don't need to do that. I don't need to defend myself. I belong to God. Whatever, Whoever you are in Christ, it was because God did it in you, Right? You've heard me say so many times in the life of Vero Bible Fellowship, if anything good happens in our fellowship, God gets all the praise. And if bad things happen, blame man. You can't blame God. You blame man. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's be responsible as Christians. Let's walk in the fear of the Lord, more the fear of man, and let's leave matters for god to handle we belong to the lord he could have had shimei take out or have shimei taken out but he didn't instead he didn't close his ears to what shimei was saying he began to hear what shimei was truly saying and measure himself against the words is there something in his words that God is trying to speak to me. Our tendency is when our enemy or when someone who has betrayed us or when someone who is critical of us speaks, we block everything they're saying. And it might be the case that you're blocking something God needs you to hear. i got to be honest with you. I really believe that we can learn something from everybody. I just don't think we should throw on the scrap heap everything they're saying just because they're against us. It takes a bigger person to listen and not be offended. But again, people who claim rights are easily offended. People who have surrendered all their rights to Christ are hard to offend. That could be an indictment tonight on, on some of us. If we quickly rise up in anger, we probably are still thinking we have the right when Christ has the rights of our life. Um, I highlighted this in my thoughts and my notes. I said, David knows that God's hand was on the future as well as the present. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. That's what David said. David knew that if he, if he did what was right in the present moment, God would take care of his future. People have asked me back when I uh, first was terminated from another church in town, why, why you should rise up, you should you should defend yourself and then the next thing i heard was from people well i've heard that the reason you're not doing that is because there's a severance pay and if you rise up you'll lose the severance pay i'm going to share with you tonight that i have something i've never shared i had god sent i believe some men to me right after it happened and they said pastor if you feel led to stand up we have committed to take care of your salary for the remainder of the year and i think it was a test from god i did not have to keep a severance pay i could have risen up but i really believe the lord said your future is dependent on how you respond you better follow me this is not your battle that is not your church it's god's church And God will handle His church. And I'm so thankful that I didn't let my flesh rise up. Believe me, it wanted to. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't. And I'm thankful now. I look back and I'm thankful that I didn't. And I'm not a perfect man. Man, just talk to my wife, my kids. You know me. Far from that. I've got my own issues. But I am thankful that in that season, in that situation... The Lord was gracious to me and gave me wisdom and gave me discipline, gave me control, self-control. I'm very thankful for that. Notice what it says in verse 14. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. David was not without hope. He was not without comfort, even with All these things going bad, going negative in his life. God allowed comfort to find him. Even if it was very small, a small comfort, David took it at that. Reaching the Jordan River, he found comfort and he rested in the Lord. He was losing control of Israel. He lost the kingdom, so to speak. He lost the kingship. He had a son rebelling against him now, wanting to come and kill him. But even in the midst of all that, he rested. He found comfort in the Lord. Never is there a time as life goes south in your life that God will not comfort you if you will keep your eyes on Him. Does that make sense? Remember what Paul said of Jesus, our Savior, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6? He still found joy in the journey, even knowing what the end of the journey brought. These are days of shame and humiliation for David, but it's good for his soul that he goes through it. It's good for his soul, because now we know exactly why he was a man with a heart after God. In his book, A Tale of Three Kings, again, let me just read something else. In the final chapter of the book, this is very short. I will not go as long as I did last time. But let me read for you a final thought here. David and Zadok. Zadok was the priest who was faithful to David. Zadok, we'll learn in chapter 17, also came out to meet with David and go with him. And David sent him back. He said, I need you to be in the city, and I need you to be the one that will send messengers to me of what... uh, Absalom is planning to do. So stay in the city and convince uh, Absalom that you are good with him being the king. And now what will you do, David? As they were talking, in your youth you spoke no word against an unworthy king. What will you do now with an equally unworthy youth? As I said, replied David, these are the times I hate the most, Zadok. Nonetheless, against all reason, I judge my own heart first and rule against its interests. I will do what I did under Saul. I will leave the destiny of the kingdom in God's hands alone. Perhaps he is finished with me. Perhaps I have sinned too greatly and I am no longer worthy to lead. Only God knows if that is true, and it seems he will not tell. Then clenching his fist, yet with a touch of rye, Uh, right uh, humor in his voice, David added emphatically, but today I shall give ample space for this untelling God of ours to show us his will. I know of no other way to bring about such an extraordinary event except by doing nothing. The throne is not mine, not to have, not to take, not to protect, and not to keep. I will leave the city the throne is the lord's so in the kingdom i will not hinder god no obstacle no activity on my part lies between me and god's will nothing will prevent him from accomplishing his will if i am not to be king god will not will find no difficulty in making absalom to be the israel's king now is it possible god shall be god the true king turned and walked quietly out of the throne room out of the palace out of the city he walked And he walked into the bosoms of all men whose hearts are pure. I believe that's David. That's honestly, we've we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in David. But that really was his heart. He let God be God. He let God handle matters the way the Lord wanted to handle them and he lived with the the reality. Verse 15, Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his, his son? And as I served your father, so I will serve you. Now let me just remind you here, if I can. Uh, Absalom has now taken the, the Jerusalem. He's brought Ahithophel with him, who was at one point David's counselor. And now Ahithophel is siding with Absalom and leading him into his wicked overthrow. And Hushai had gone out to meet with David and go into the wilderness. And David sent, just like Zadok the priest, he sent Hushai back. And he said, I need you to stay close to Absalom. And whatever advice Ahithophel, who was known as a great advisor of David, whatever advice he gives to Absalom, I need you to thwart it. I need you to say something opposite, to knock uh, Ahithophel off his game, that he would not have the king's ear. Okay? And so that's what's happening here. Uh, uh, Hushe has actually uh, gone ahead and, and served Absalom, but really it's a it's it's a put-on. Uh, verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, uh, and the hands of all who are with you uh, will be strengthened." So, if you remember, David, when he left the city, he left ten concubines behind to take care of the palace. And so now Ahithophel is advising Absalom to go and sleep with his father's concubines. Okay. So what he's basically doing, I mean, David's immoral in what he did by having concubines, but now uh, Absalom is being advised by Ahithophel to start his kingdom in immorality, okay? And uh, so what they did was they set up a tent on the rooftop, on the garden roof of King uh, David's house. And they had all the uh, concubines live in that tent, and he would go in where people could see Absalom going into the tent and having his way with the women And so this was probably the worst way to to speak against your father to, uh, to end for all time any kind of a possible reconciliation Here's what's not in the story but this comes out later Ahithophel is advising him to do this for Ahithophel's sake He knows that if Absalom is killed, David will return And Ahithophel will be done with." So his wisdom is, let me turn these two men against one another and uh, they'll never reconcile. They'll never reconcile and so I will be safe. And he's, he's thinking that he's saved himself. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of the Ahithophel's esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. So uh, they're taking the, his words as if it's, it's God's truth, which it is not. And now that, that's an, by the way, that's an act of treason what Absalom did to his father by taking his concubines. And uh, remember now who Ahithophel is. Okay, This might explain things. Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba from her husband. Ahithophel was David's counselor at the time. David did not show any sensitivity or concern for how that might affect Ahithophel, that he would take his granddaughter, away from her husband, have him killed, so that David could have her for himself. And so, what a wicked web we weave. And now Hithophel is saying, we're going to have your son take from you. So, it's vengeful. By the way, doesn't matter how wise a person is, when you are flush are in bitterness, You will make foolish decisions. And that's what Ahithophel has done. By the way, it was also prophesied to David by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12. uh, He said, Thus says the Lord David, this was after his sin with Bathsheba, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Wow. So, Ahithophel is probably acting in revenge, and he's in a wicked heart giving Absalom, telling him to go and sleep with the concubines, not knowing this is playing right into God's hand. God was the one who's trying to separate David from his sinful immorality. Interesting. And so we see David's son Absalom establishing his kingdom, and uh, he he was a very skilled and clever politician. Remember how he would go down to the city streets? Oh, I just wish my father had provided counsel for you, and if he didn't, if he wasn't so busy, you know, and. Of course, I'm here, let me help you, all that nonsense. Uh, But much like so many politicians and national leaders today, uh, he was very ignorant of the ways of God. They come off so slick, so smart, so wise, they are ignorant of the ways of God because they fear man more than they fear God. Let's pray. Father... We pray that tonight you would guide us away from the conniving, scheming ways of a wicked heart. And every one of us have that heart. But you have saved us, you have transformed us, and you have called us to, to, to walk away. Not to put on the old man, but to walk and live in the new man that you have placed in us. And Lord, I pray that tonight these have been reminders for us how we should carry our relationships with people, how we should relate and see ourselves in Your eyes, that our relationship with You is one of complete surrender and that our rights are no longer our own, but now You have all rights to our life. May we be reminded of that. May we walk in the Spirit as You guide us by the Word of God In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you.